I, I want to jump into uh, the message, and I titled it this, the, the Search the search for Christmas. The Search for Christmas, not a fancy title. Uh, I'm actually going back to Matthew chapter 2, part of the Christmas story that I've really been stuck in the last three or four Christmas Eves, looking at the journey of the wise men. And this specific journey for me, it just kind of, um, it, it, it's, it's intriguing to me that these men, astute, affluent, proficient in their time, would leave everything and go to follow a star. And so I, I want to look at it today uh, in Matthew's account of, of these wise men and their journey. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem. In Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from then the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went out on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Another translation says, they went back another way. It's not what it's really saying geographically that they, it is speaking geographically if they went back another way, but I want to just use a play on words that says this, that after the wise men finished their journey, they saw Jesus, they went back another way. Or you could say this, they, they, were, they were changed. You know, as we uh, end this year and we're looking forward to next year and to everybody's going to be making their New Year's resolutions, and, and this is the truth about New Year's resolutions or if you're really spiritual, New Year's revelations. little Christianese for you, okay. New Year's resolutions, revelations, nobody's trying to get worse. Everybody is trying to make some type of change to be better, you're going to eat better, you're going to exercise more, you're going to save more money, you're going to be nicer to your family, you're going to love your neighbor. That's the one I'm working on. And you're, 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 going to, you're, going to, you're going to have the love of Jesus, you're going to be in church more, you're going to go serve at the Dream Center, you're going to, like, you make New Year's resolutions or revelations. But the goal of any revolution, res, resolution is to change for the better. And I, I was thinking this week as I was preparing this, I'm like, man, there's, a, there's been a lot of things that have changed me. There's good and bad. There's been things that have changed me for the, for the better. There's things that have been changed me for the worse. And so I started to write down, what, what's all the things that have changed me? And then I was embarrassed because like the first nine were sporting events. 
like I need to be more spiritual. My first one was when I, when the Seattle Seahawks won the, their first Super Bowl. I was like pumped. No, no booze, please. No tomatoes. Uh, um, it, it could be for you, you know. This could, this could be the year. <laughs> I've seen how much faith was in the room. But that changed me. I was never the same. I'm like, I was a fan before, but now I'm like over, over the top. Here, here's, here's one for you. This changed me. I was at game one of the World Series in the bottom of the ninth when Corey Seager hit his home run, right, game when they won game one, and I was in right field. That, that changed me. I was like, I'll, I'll, ne I'll never be the same. I was in, the electricity was crazy. I'm hugging people I've never met before. <laughs> it's just like in that moment you don't care, but then like after it kind of subsides, you're like, uh, I'm, I'm Dustin. You know? <laughs> that was awkward. We, we kind of skipped a couple steps here. I was thinking about this, that um, when I got married, it changed me forever. Changed me for the better. You should have seen me before I got married. It was way, be way better now. But I remember thinking, like, I'm, I'm never going to be the same. I'm never Having kids. Any parents in the room? Never the same. Some of you got, like, little kids, and you're like, I'll never sleep again. <laughs> you will. You will. You just got to wait a little while. Never the same. Things that, that change us. I think there's also things that, that mark us or change us that maybe aren't as positive. And you think of things like a loved one suffering with a diagnosis. And it, it changes you. You think, man, I'll never be the same losing a loved one. You think, I'll, I'll never be the same walking through family turmoil or crisis or, or maybe a break in a marriage or a relationship. And, and you feel like, I will... I'll, I'll never be the same again. But I want you to know this, is that when the wise men encountered Jesus, I believe that something changed in them. I, I believe something shifted from who they were from before that moment into who they were after that moment. And I really believe this, that even today, as we're gathered today, I believe God wants to change something in you. There's changes that happen because of instances in time, but there's also supernatural change that can happen in a, in a moment as we understand or we have a realization really of who God is and what he wants to do. I, I, as I was reading the story, I thought it was, it's so interesting because the wise men and scholars tell us that the wise men are all, you know, kinds of different things. You hear the magi, you hear the wise men, you hear astrologers because they were following a star. And, uh, and then I'm going to kind of break up your nativity scene for a second. We have three wise men, right? Well, there really was not three wise men. There's probably like quite a bit more, but there was only three gifts. So if it's the same as me... When I invite people to a birthday party, I'm only counting the ones that bring gifts. All right? So apparently Jesus was the same. He's like, the only three that matter were the ones that brought the gifts. So he, the, these, these men, it says in verse 2, they said, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? So we see this curiosity of trying to find where this one that was born king of the Jews. Do, do you know... Curiosity is probably one of the best spiritual characteristics that you can have. Curiosity is real similar to faith. It's the curiosity that says, could God heal me? Could God change my heart? Could God change my wife's heart? Could God change my child's heart? Is there more to my relationship with God? Could I hear God's voice? Could I sense God's presence. Those, those questions are curiosity, but it's what opens the door to experience. 
That anyone that's really experienced God has stepped in to a mode or a level of curiosity. And this is what the wise men, they were curious. They said, where is this guy? Where is this one who has been promised to us? Where is the one that will save Israel from their sins? Have you ever wondered if there's more to God? You ever wondered like if all you've experienced is all there is or if there is actually more? If he has more power, more ability, if there's deeper levels of knowing him, what if God wanted to speak to you? What if God wanted to heal you on Christmas Eve? What, even the question what if is stepping into divine curiosity. But, it, but, it, but what is, it wasn't just curiosity. These were wise men. They were proficient in the prophecies of the times of ancient prophecy. They were most likely from Babylon. They were there and they had read and studied the writings of Daniel. That in Daniel, that it would speak prophetically of a time where a savior would come, a king would come. One who would be born of the Jews, born in Bethlehem, a Messiah and savior of the world. They would have known this. So they were anchored in ancient prophecy, but moved by divine curiosity. They were anchored in ancient prophecy, but moved by divine... You know, it's kind of the same today, that the reason or the way that you experience God is to be anchored in his word, but to be moved by divine curiosity. The question, what if God could? So many people like to talk about why God can't. I like people that ask the question, what if God could? What if God could transform a city? What if God could transform your family? What if God could turn your marriage upside down? What if God could reach that prodigal son? What if God could? It was curiosity that brought them to follow the star and ancient prophecy that grounded them in their search. Micah chapter 5 Verse 2, it says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This prophecy in the book of Micah was 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years, Micah pins these words, and these wise men would have known this prophecy. So as they're journeying to Bethlehem, they would have known the prophecy of Micah that out of that place would come one who was born of the Jews that would save the people from their sins. I've been just kind of like meditating on this story. And, and, and if you've listened to me speak very long, then you know this, that sometimes we're too spiritual when we approach the word of God. Because we hear like really astounding or really alarming things like Mary conceiving by the Holy Spirit. And we're like, uh-huh, that sounds right. That's, that's odd. It's also not possible. That's supernatural. But when you get so spiritual, you lose the gravity of what's happening. And sometimes we do this with the wise men. There was an over 800-mile journey from where they lived to where they found Jesus. So can you imagine, like, that scenario? Hey, honey, I'm going on a trip. Really, where are you going? Not sure. Who are you going with? All my buddies. This sounds dangerous. <laughs> How long are you going to be gone? No idea. Well, what are you, why are you going? What, we, we saw a star. That sounds like a bad excuse. If your husband ever says, I'm leaving town, I, I saw a star, you'd be like, nah, 
I don't know. Call me up, all right? I'll get the men's ministry director on it. They, they, they literally pack their bags, load their camels, and they set off on an 800-mile journey because they see a star anchored in prophecy that led them to have the curiosity that could this be the star? Could this lead us to the one that was promised? And I think they, they, they must have had all kinds of expectations. I mean, when we roll up to this mansion, right, to find the king, what, that's, that's, it said that they were looking for the king. That was the curiosity, is where can we find this king? And they came into Bethlehem, and they must have been like, man, have you ever been to Bethlehem? I don't know. This place is a little smaller than I thought. They're walking through. Everyone's looking at them. They had those big hats. That is actually true of those guys. They had the big ones. And they're just, and, and, and this is what scholars believe, that it wasn't like three of them, like the gifts, that it might have been 15. It could have been upwards of 80 that traveled together. They brought three gifts, but they came together. Can, now, can you imagine Mary and Joseph, right, they, 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 they're, they're probably having doubts themselves. They, they heard the angel speak. They had the baby, so they go, okay, okay, this is the baby Jesus, but the baby's acting like a baby. So they're like, is it Jesus? I think it is. Now, not to break the nativity again, but most likely Jesus was not like a newborn when they got there. That when they got there, he might have been a year, a year and a half old. Because we know that Herod sent out a decree to kill all the newborn babies or two years old and under. So we feel like it was probably in this time. And the scripture says this. It says, when they approached the house. Now, where, where was Jesus born? In a manger. So now we've graduated from the manger. Now they have a house. All right? Now, we know when Joseph rolled into town, he didn't have it like that where he's just picking houses because they said there was no room for them in the inn. So it's probably not like a massive house, probably not a house that you would look at and be like, that's a king. Probably not the penthouse. It's probably just a normal house. And here comes, let's just say, 80 wise men. They roll up to Bethlehem, and the Bible says this. It says they were filled or they were overflowing with joy. Why? Because the star had stopped over this house. And I'm sure some of them are like, I think this is it. I hope this isn't it. Right? Because it's, it, this is simple. It's simple. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot is that God often comes in the most simple ways. Honestly, for some of you... You're going to find God in some of the most messy places, like stables and like small houses. And if you really want to find God, it's not outside of trouble. You'll actually find him in it. That God is most often found in the midst of crisis, not out of it. It's not when everything's going great that I discover him. When everything's going wrong or when my heart is breaking, I discover his kindness and his goodness. And so here are the wise men outside the house, and, and when they're about to go in, the Bible says they were, over, they were overcome with joy. Here we go. It's a small house, but it's probably a, a really big king. And they open the door, and it says that Jesus is on Mary's lap. Okay, don't get too spiritual. You just walked 800 miles on a camel <laughs> with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, like, here he is, the king. 
don't know about you, but I have not made it a habit to follow or worship toddlers. <laughs> and the wise men walk in, and Jesus is on Mary's lap. And I don't know what you would have done in that moment, but that would have been difficult for me. I've been like, okay, there was a start. Everyone saw it, right? We all saw it. Where's your older brother? Right? Or I would have just been like, Joseph, you'll do. All right? I just want a man-sized Jesus. But it's just, it's a baby. And I wonder if that this situation wasn't even just supernaturally aligned that we could see a pathway of how we come to God. Because if he would have been mighty, if he, if he would have been powerful, if he would have been in a mansion, then of course we would bow our knee and worship him. Of course we would give him some type of respect or recognition because look at this amazing, incredible king. But when they came in and they saw a baby, there was a practice of faith and humility. Because there's an interesting process of events that happen when they see Jesus. It says, when they saw Jesus, the first thing they did is they bowed. I want to read this to you. This is the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. And this is really to catch you up on where the story is. This is powerful. And this is what Mary is holding in her arms. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. All the spiritual people. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him, my favorite name, Emmanuel, God with us. And now this Emmanuel, this Jesus, is a toddler on the lap of Mary and the wise men come in, and the Bible says they bow. And this struck me this week as I was studying, because here we have people who are at the top of their vocation, most likely very affluent, traveling together to search for the star, and they see a child, and they fall to their knees I started studying this and I actually looked up because it says they bowed and they worshiped. So I looked up, what, what is that worship word? Because maybe that's like, you know, gave some accolades. Maybe sang your favorite song. Maybe sang Jesus a song as he's there. The word worship in the Greek is proskuneo. Proskuneo. And it means to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence, used of homage shown to men and beings of superior rank. Now picture this. Eighty wise men come into the house. The moment they picture, they see Jesus on the lap of Mary, eighty wise, proficient, affluent men 
collapse to their knees, pressing their foreheads to the ground in worship. What a sight. He must have been something so special. It must have been so powerful. Or they really understood who he was. And I wonder if for some of us the reason that we never see God is that we never are willing to bow low. Is that for many of us, we want to see God face to face. You want to understand him. You want to get why he does things or why he doesn't do things. Friends, his thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. And whenever you come to God man to man, you miss out on the beauty of who he is. Because when the wise men saw Jesus, they understood that he was greater than they were. And they immediately fell to the ground, pressing their foreheads to the floor, recognizing someone greater than me has entered into the room. I'm worried about our churches in 2023 and what we think of worship. Because I think we might have an idea that worship is about us. That it's, it's my favorite song or it's my favorite church or it's worship is deeper than that. It's an attitude of the heart. It says that they, they bowed down and they worshiped. They bowed and they worshiped. They didn't bow down expecting something so that Jesus would do something. They bowed down and worshiped him. You know, you know what I think is, is amazing? That the reason, one of the reasons I think that they came and found Jesus as a baby is because the baby had no ability to do something for them. So it gives us the most clear picture of what worship is. Worship is not for us. Worship is for him. Worship is not about getting something from God. It's about giving something to God. Worship is about what you give and not what you receive. It says they bowed down, and they worshiped. Have you, ever, have you ever really worshiped? I mean, I'm not talking about just singing a song in church or lifting up a hand at the peak of a song. I'm, I'm talking about have, have you worshiped? Have you approached God with reverence? Have you approached God with honor, bowing your heart, bowing your knee, and giving him something? Worship is about what you give not what you receive. So one of the greatest litmus tests of worship is did you give something? It said they bowed and they worshiped. And it says, and then they opened up their treasures and began to give him gifts. So, so I think sometimes in Christianity we mistake worship as songs and we mistake giving as money. And it's way deeper, and it's way bigger than that. Did you know the best gift that you can give back to God on Christmas is not your money, it's your life. When, when you really see him for who he is, worship is automatic. And the reason that some of us have never really worshipped is we've never truly seen him. Because if you really saw him and you saw who he was and how powerful he was and the kindness in his heart, friends, you would automatically worship and you would automatically give. It would be a reaction to what you see. It wouldn't be an obligation or something we would do or something to try to appease him. It would be something that we'd give to him because he's worthy. 
because he's worthy. I just wonder that for many of us, maybe change is never stuck or life change is never really stuck because we keep on trying to come to God with what we've done. I've been in church every week. Oh, man, I give to this. I serve here. That, that's awesome. Can I ask you this on Christmas Eve? Have you given him the most important part of you, which is your life? Have you given him your life? There was a famous artist years ago, and he is famous for a lot of different sculptures, but one specific one is called the Christus or Christus. And it's a, it's a sculpture of Christ. And the way Jesus is portrayed is he's actually looking down. So if you look at him, you, you actually cannot really see his face. You can't see his eyes. In fact, if you look at him from a distance, you can't see him. If you come close to him, you can't see him. The only way that you can see his face is if you bow. If you bow and look up to him, you can see his eyes. And the way he created this was a picture for us of the way that we approach God. And for many of us, because we don't understand him, we stand toe-to-toe with him saying, I'm mad at you. But friends, if you would bow your knee, you could see him for who he is. And if you saw the kindness and the love and the mercy and the grace in his eyes, you would think completely it would change you. It would change you. They worshiped and they gave. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did you know that in order to experience wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, it's not something that you earn or you get to. It's something that you bow to. It takes humility to bow your knee. It takes a recognition of who's greater. It's really surrender, is that we would understand God, we yield our hearts and our lives to you. And life is full of things that will make you confused, leave you confused, leave you angry, disappointed, sometimes wondering what or why. But friends, our God is a good God. And if you would seek him, he would be found by you. This is really the search for Christmas. It was the search for Christ, these men anchored in, uh, in, in ancient prophecy and driven by divine curiosity, find this Jesus. And they experienced him by worshiping him, which was by bowing and worshiping and giving. Everybody's like favorite verse is Jeremiah 29:11. Pinterest, tattoos, everywhere. And I love it, it's good. But my favorite verse is actually two verses after that. In Jeremiah 29, verse 13, it says this in the message translation. When you come looking for me, you will find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and you want it more than anything else, 
I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. You, you know what I propose to you? I would propose to you that God's given you your own star. Or you could call it clues that leads you to Jesus. It could be a praying mom. It could be an experience you had as a child. But it's been your star. It's been something that keeps pulling you. It's, it's been something that you're curious about. Could God do it? Could God heal me? Could God set me free? And I, I would venture to say that if you begin to look even today on this Christmas Eve that you would see the clues or the hands or the stars of God that would lead you into divine relationship where he could do the things that you wonder about if he could do. It says if you seek him, he will not leave you disappointed. And my prayer today on this Christmas Eve is that you would get a jump start on 2024 by beginning to look for God right now. That you would make it your New Year's resolution, your goal, your aim, that you're going to begin to look to follow the clues to get to him. That you're going to begin to look around to find him, to experience him, because this is the word of God to you. You will not be disappointed. I just wonder if too many times I've come to Jesus, looking at him face to face, trying to reason like a man, instead of coming with a bowed knee and a bowed heart, saying, you're God and I'm not. I don't get it. I don't know why. But I'm going to worship you because you're greater than I am. I'm going to worship you because of who you are. Not what you can do. Not what you saved me from. Not what you can do or give me. or what. I'm going to worship you because this is what the wise men did. They worshiped him because he was king. The child? On Mary's lap? Yeah. They saw it before they saw it. It took humility and it took faith to say, God, you led me here and you said this is the king. I'll you think they were confused? Probably. You think they maybe thought it was going to be different? I would probably think so. But when they saw the king, they bowed their knee. They worshiped him. And they gave the best of who they were. My challenge to you this Christmas, whether you're a guest with us or you've been coming, watching online, could you consider giving God the best of who you are? Not just your attendance or your tip or like the deep places of your heart that you would surrender your life.